Good morning, everyone. So glad that you could make it this morning. Uh, we'll see how many people sneak in at the closing song if they miss the time change. That'll be our clue on that. We're glad you're here this morning, glad you're here online with us. Let's stand as we sing our first song this morning, We Will Glorify. We will glorify the King of kings, we will glorify the Lamb, we will glorify the Lord of lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty, we will bow before His throne, we will worship Him in righteousness, we will worship him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to him we give. Hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to
There's quite a few people who did set their clocks correctly. That's good. I'm glad we have a good crowd this morning with the, the time change as well as a storm coming. So we will probably, like Rusty said, have a few more coming in late this morning. But those who are online, we're glad that you're with us the, here this morning as well. So I want to uh, visit with y'all just a second about what our online service is for. Our online service is for people who do not live in the Tyler area because we have people from all over the world watching online. That's wonderful. Our online service is for our members who are out of town on vacation that want to continue to participate with us in worship. That's wonderful as well. Our online service is for those who, for health reasons, do not feel like being in public places, and that's understandable, and that's very warranted. We want to continue to bless those people with our online services because that is a necessary thing for them. But if you are participating in our online services, yet six days out of the week, life goes on normally, meaning that you go to work, you go get your hair done, you go to the grocery store, you go to the mall, you go to every restaurant in town, then you need to be here Sunday morning. And that is not what our online services are meant to replace, is your attendance here in person. So with that being said, we have lifted all of the tape off in this auditorium. We would suggest people who are worried about social distancing still, that that is more than fine, that there is a lot of room and a lot of seats in this auditorium where you can sit more than six feet from any other person, and that's that is what that is all about. So we want to announce uh, a few announcements that did not make the bulletin. One is that uh, Jessica Smith's grandfather, Dale Purdy, passed away. Our condolences to Jessica and her family, as well as the Purdy family as well. Yesterday we had services for um, Rob Hilliard here at the church. He passed away this past Monday at doing what he loved at the gun range. And so our condolences to the Hilliard family and the Womack family as well. We all knew and loved Rob. He was quite a character, always had a good story to tell. You know, you have better relations with people you have things in common with. I shared a lot of things in common with Rob. I, I love guns, I love cars, and I love good country music not bad and so we always had a lot of things to talk about and we will definitely miss Rob no doubt we we just will but we know as Christians that this is not our home we have a home that's prepared for us and Rob is headed that way and we will join him in less time than you can imagine our other announcement is J.D. Osborne is scheduled to see a surgeon this coming week and it's more than likely he will have quadruple bypass surgery planned in the not-too-distant future. So our thoughts and prayers need to be continued with him. So here we are, two weeks into a shutdown to flatten the curve. Isn't that what they told us? Has it just been two weeks? No, it's been 52 or 53 weeks. We've got to ask ourselves who we're going to put our faith in, church. We're going to put our faith in mankind, in an expert 
who's going to tell us that in two weeks we've got to flatten the curve, this will be over with before summer starts. That where we put our faith. We're going to put our faith in a politician who will tell us anything we want to hear. And you know they're lying because they're talking. Are we going to put our faith in the weatherman? I don't even need to go there. We're going to put our faith in the almighty dollar. It's worth about 10 cents compared to what it was worth when I was just in high school. Where are we going to put our faith? We need to put our faith in God. Because God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God created us. And if we put our faith in anything else, we will always be disappointed. That is just how that works. And so we do ask you as the elders that you'll have a little faith in us, obviously a lot of faith in God, that we're going to open church. And the email's been sent this past week that outlined some of our plans to do that. And our first step was to remove the tape, nearly as much a psychological thing as a physical thing, because people are still distanced in this auditorium, and that's wonderful that they are. We have a lot of different people in the world, including at our church. You know, we have people in this world that prior to COVID would not ever want to step on an airplane. And on the other extreme, we have people that probably tomorrow would jump on Elon Musk's rocket and want to go to outer space, even though they blew one up a week or two ago. And so we realize that there are people that a year from now will still be worried about COVID. And there are people that a year ago, up till this day, have not been worried about COVID. And somewhere in between, we have to have church. And we will have church. Because our faith is in God, and our duty is to do God's will. In order to do that, we have to be here. We have to study God's word. We have to encourage each other. We have to be there when we have tragedy in our life. We have to help each other get through this life. We've got to educate these children about God for the next generation. And so in doing that, we are going to be flexible with our steps for reopening, but nonetheless... We're moving ahead because a quarter of the people at least in Texas have been vaccinated. Probably that many more have been had the COVID. And there's untold number of people who can't get it. I'm thinking of David Carter and Karen Fidel, people that were exposed that are naturally immune to it. We're not pronouncing it over, but we're kind of pronouncing that we need to get back to what we're supposed to be about. God's more important than COVID, and this church is more important than COVID, and we're going to move forward with that. If you bow with me, let's pray. Dear God, we come before you recognizing you who you are, the creator, the God. Men have imagined gods in their mind, but you are the God. There are no other true gods. The rest of them only exist in men's imagination. Dear God, we pray to your Heavenly Father this morning for your comfort and peace upon
Jessica Smith and losing her grandfather, Dale Purdy. Pray also, dear Heavenly Father, that you will extend your blessings upon the Hilliard and Womack family in the passing this past week. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will look after J.D. Osborne as he's potentially have heart surgery coming up very soon. We pray that you'll be with the doctors that diagnose him and that treat him and that ultimately operate on him, that it will, the surgery will be successful. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, for the elders of this church that you give us wisdom in moving forward in this, in this uncertain world. It does worry us that if Dr. Seuss can be canceled, that the attempt will be made to cancel Bill Allen. And we have to stand firm against anything like that. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will always continue to try to do your will, that we will help each other through this difficult thing we call life, that we will see our goal in front of us, and that is to spend eternity with you, and that we will help each other get there as best we can by encouraging each other, strengthening each other, being there when there is sorrow, and also rejoicing with each other upon successes. We meet together this morning, dear God, as your church. We pray that everything we do will be in accordance to your will. We acknowledge, dear Heavenly Father, that we fail you and we fail you often, and for that we're truly sorry. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everyone. Uh, I am just so happy to see you guys this morning. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Wade, I have some things in common with you. I like guns. I like cars. I like good country music, which is increasingly harder and harder to find on the radio. And I also like fishing. And yes, the weather has been a little bit of an issue as of late, something we've all been talking about. And uh, I've got a place where I go fishing. It's north of here. It's nothing fancy. And I keep a small boat. Been going up there for years and years. And uh, believe me, it's, it's nothing fancy. And I do imagine, I do manage every now and then to catch fish. But I wasn't too far from that place about a week, 10 days ago. And I decided, well, let's just go ahead and check in and, you know, scope everything out, make sure everything's still there. So I did. There's a couple of people that live there, and I get to talking to them. We're telling bad jokes and everything. And I said, well, did you guys survive the, the big blast, the, the winter blast? They said, oh, yeah, but, you know, it was tough. And uh, the, the whole lake, it's not a big lake. It's just a, like a 55-acre lake. But it froze. The whole thing froze. So we talk a little bit more, and I go out, and I'm just looking at the water. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm just thinking. I'm looking at the water. And I'm just having one of these moments where it's just incredible. A week, 10 days ago, this lake was frozen, and we stayed single-digit temperatures for, for days. You know, for us, that's, that's pretty tough, you know. And there I was out there on that particular day, and the sun's shining. You know, it's uh, you know, shining down on me, bright, warm. Uh, the sun's reflecting off the water, and it's, it's almost to the point to where it's balmy. And sometimes I just have these moments where I just think it is just so incredible how powerful our God is. If he can set in motion a meteorological process that can give us single-digit temperatures and freeze the lake, and then there we are, you know, less than 10 days later, and it's balmy outside and beautiful. That is one truly powerful God. And when I have these moments, the next thought that comes to my mind is, you sure don't want to make him angry. You don't want to make him mad. Because if he could do that, there's no telling what he could do to you if he were angry. And after I get past that point, when I have these moments, then I start thinking about how loving he is. This is a very, very powerful God, and yet he sent his only begotten son to die for my sins and yours. That to me is a real attention getter. Each Lord's Day, Christians from all over the world, whether they're in gatherings like this, maybe gatherings larger or smaller, maybe they're streaming, you know, at home, uh, but we all come together to remember the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chris Condor stood where I'm standing several weeks ago, and he made this point, it's very valid. Jesus Christ, the son of that very powerful God, chose to go to that cross, and he chose to stay there. And while he was on that cross, suffering for my sins and yours, he didn't fuss, he didn't complain, he didn't ask for mercy. He was thinking about others. He thought about his mother. He thought about those that perpetrated that act. And he was thinking about me, and he was thinking about you. And he did that because of his love for all of us. So with that in mind, brethren, we're going to take this, this loaf. It's in the top of this little container here. 
and this fruit of the vine, we do this to remember, again, the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So please bow with me. Dearest Father in heaven, we thank you so much, as always, for the blessings of the day. And at this time, we come together to remember your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, for his love and for his willingness to uh, allow himself to be crucified on that cross for our sins. And we thank you so much, Father, for your love and allowing your only son to go through that horrible ordeal. We thank you so much for his love and for your love, Father. And as we partake of this loaf, may we do so in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Again, Father, we approach your throne. We uh, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to remember your son. Uh, as we partake of this blood, that, or which we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents his blood, uh, we know, Father, that uh, his blood washes our soul uh, to where it's whiter than snow in your, in your sight. Uh, we ask your forgiveness for our sins which made the shedding of your son's blood uh, necessary for our sakes, not for your sake or for that of your son. And as we partake, Father, may we do so again in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, uh, the elders set aside this time each week to where we can give back to the Lord a portion of the material blessings that he gives to us. Uh, we've got some boxes in the foyer. Uh, you can give online. You can mail a check if uh, that's easier or more convenient for you. But each week we give back to the or each Lord's Day, rather, we give back to the Lord a portion of the blessings that he gives to us. It's important to remember that nothing that we have is a result of ourselves. Everything that we have, every beat of our heart, every breath we take, all comes from the Lord. So as we give back, let us do so with a cheerful heart. Let us do so with thankfulness. Let us pray again. Dear Father in heaven, this, it is our privilege to give back to you a portion of the material blessings that you bestowed upon us. We're so thankful, Father, for the blessings that we have. We're thankful for our homes. Uh, we're thankful, Father, that uh, we live here in Tyler. We're thankful to be alive. We're thankful that we are Americans. 
and we're very, very thankful that we're a part of your kingdom. And as we give back, Father, may we do so with a, a heart that is cheerful and thankful. And we thank you especially more than anything for the spiritual blessings that we have through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. participating in our worship assembly online. We're grateful for everyone's uh, presence. I can tell you that the clock in the back says that it is 9.32. 
And so I don't know about you, but I plan to preach until that clock says about 10.50. And, um, and I have a feeling that before I get too very far into the lesson, there are going to be three or four of our men that are going to be looking for a ladder to go back and change that clock during the sermon. I promise I will remember that that's an hour off. I appreciate our elders, our shepherds, so very much. If you can imagine how difficult these last uh, 12 months plus have been for you and for your family, then consider being called upon to shepherd and make decisions that concern this church family in addition to their own. And so I appreciate everyone's support for them and prayers for them and encouragement to them. And I certainly appreciate our shepherds for uh, being willing to do exactly that and to lead us through this time and to continue to lead us. Uh, you know, <laughs> there, are, there are some who have said we have moved too quickly through this whole thing to try to get back to some sense of normalcy. There are others who say uh, we uh, have moved far too slowly in that. And there are some today that uh, are feeling those same things. I think the vast majority of our congregation and our church family appreciates uh, the leadership of our shepherds and, and are grateful for them and continue to pray for them, uh, realizing that this, is a, uh, this has been a very difficult, uh, difficult task. And so we want to uh, commend them. We want to uh, commend all of you for your continued participation and for your continued support of this church family. Even those during those several weeks where we weren't here uh, for, I believe it was five weeks, five or six weeks, we, um, our, our ministers and one of our shepherds and our wonderful uh, AV team met here on Wednesdays and recorded a church service to be shown on Sunday. And what a blessing that we are well past that but as Wade said, not out of this, uh, of course. And so we want to continue to be mindful of those who are struggling. Joyce and I were uh, talking the other day, and I, I feel very strongly that um, our perspective of everything that we've been through over these last 12 months really is uh, impacted in a huge way by how closely this disease has hit us you have lost a loved one because of the novel coronavirus of this past year plus, then that affects your impression of this whole experience. If you have not lost any loved one, if you have not been severely challenged by what we have experienced, that impacts how you view what's gone on and what's going on right now. So I appreciate very much our elders trying to take everyone into consideration and all of those experiences and trying to lead uh, a church of several hundred people with several hundred different views and do that faithfully and with love and at the same time uh, with that trust in the Lord God that Wade spoke about earlier. I have come to believe over these last uh, few weeks especially, but I, in this series on the book of Romans, I have come to believe that God has uh, brought this to us uh, for this very special time. And that the book of Romans is especially applicable for us. 
and the things that we have experienced, the things that we are experiencing, and where we are in light of all of that. Not just where we are in our own physical and emotional well-being, but maybe even more importantly, where we are in our spiritual well-being. Because I believe the book of Romans speaks to all of those things. It speaks to a church, to a group of Christians in the center of the empire. An empire that was not sympathetic to the church at all. And yet this is what was told them. And this is what is told us. Let's bow for a moment in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the way you have blessed us. We are mindful of those who have experienced such great loss, who have had to make such great sacrifices because of COVID-19. We're mindful of all of those who have worked and risked so much to help others because of COVID-19. And we're grateful for them. And we know that they continue to do that same thing. And we're thankful. Father, we're grateful for your blessing of this church, for our shepherds, for all of those who lead us in so very many ways as we seek to continue the life and ministry of this church family. And we're thankful, Father, for the progress that has been made in our country and around the world, in this community and in our church. And we're thankful, Father, for the horizon that looks far better than the immediate history. But we pray, Father, that you would help us to continue to not only act wisely, uh, but to act with great planning as our shepherds are committed to doing. And also, Father, to act with great love and consideration for each other. Father, we're thankful for this grand book of Romans. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul and his life, for the Christians there in the center of the empire who struggled with many of the same things that we struggle with and who received words from the Holy Spirit on how to live a life faithfully in the midst of all of that. Help us, Father, to hear those words, to accept that call, to feel, Father, that great assurance and victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans 7 that we discussed last week spoke very honestly of the frustrating struggle that we all have with sin. As I mentioned last week, I appreciate very much the Apostle Paul and his honesty in Romans 7. Being willing to say, hey, the things that I know I should do, I don't do. (laughs) And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing those things. I don't believe that that was something that Paul was commenting on in previous times in his life, but I think it was something he was commenting on constantly, (laughs) presently, every day. He faced that struggle just as we do every day. And so this incredible seventh chapter of Romans ends with these words in verses 21 through 25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature or or flesh, a slave to the law 
of sin. And that leads us into Romans 8. Romans 8, my very favorite chapter of the Bible, calls us and empowers us to live not according to the sinful nature or flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8 is a powerful statement. It's some of the most familiar verses that you will recall as we read through this great chapter today. Romans 8 announces there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 promises we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8 asks if God is for us, who can be against us? And Romans 8 affirms nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. What a perfect time for us to hear these words again. And so I want us to read through this great book in sections and then read through it at the end of our message in one reading. First of all, our obligation. This book gives us great words of affirmation that tells us how we are recipients of the righteousness of God through faith, by the grace and power of God. And we have nothing to do really with receiving that ourselves. That is strictly a gift from God. But the book of Romans also communicates how we are raised from that watery grave of baptism to live a new life, Romans 6 tells us. A life that is a slave to Christ, not to self. That is uh, committed to righteousness, not sinfulness. In Romans 12, how we are living sacrifices. And then in those last chapters, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 especially, and chapter 16, it talks about what we are called to do. What that looks like in living faithfully to God. And he deals in those chapters with the hardest things that we deal with today. Relationship issues. What to do when brethren disagree. The call to love. How to be respectful citizens in a community, in a a nation that is not only unsympathetic to your Christian faith, but antagonistic towards it. And on and on those chapters go. He begins speaking in this great chapter of our obligation. Our obligation. And and it's contrasted with chapter 7 that says, this is how you live when you're living according to the flesh. But that's not how we live anymore. Yes, we still struggle with that and fail sometimes, but that's not how we live. Our obligation is to live according to the Spirit and the hope and the faithfulness and the unselfishness and the confidence and the joy that comes from having the Holy Spirit living in our lives and calling the shots in how we live. Our obligation in in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What great news that is. He just spent a whole chapter saying, I do wrong things all the time. I don't do right things all the time. And now looking at the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, the the great gift that we have through the Holy Spirit, 
He makes this great affirmation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's not up to me. If it were up to me, I would be condemned. But because it's up to Christ and his sacrifice that we celebrated earlier as our brother Bill Paschal led us around the table. Because it's up to Christ and his blood and his broken body, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit whose trust is in God and not in ourselves. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But he goes on to say, that's not you. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. That is our assurance that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will do the same for us. Therefore, verse 12, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Only a few times is that term found in the New Testament, Abba, Father. It's found in Galatians 4 in a very similar passage to this. But it's also found in Mark 14. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in Jesus' most vulnerable moment. And in that moment, he prays, Abba, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It is that same term that Paul says, we, through the blood of Christ, now call our God, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 
And the people who received this letter were suffering in ways far beyond what, not only what we have experienced, but I believe what we will ever experience in this country. Our obligation, now that we have been saved by the grace of God through the response of faith, is to live according to the Spirit. Not in order to be saved, but because we are. Not in order to receive the Spirit, but because He already is inside of us. Our obligation is to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. This is righteousness living. And then He speaks of our hope our hope. And the first verse that we read is one that I know is very special to the Stifer family. Romans 8 verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is a struggle. This world has enduring, is enduring just like it's a struggle for us in this physical, carnal, secular, temporary world. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved, our hope. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In a similar way, Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, we live by faith, not by sight. Why? Because our hope isn't seen yet. Our hope isn't realized yet. And as he writes in that great love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, as you very well know, he concludes by saying, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love will endure. Hope will one day become sight. Faith will one day be realized. And love will continue on. But for now, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by hope, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? It wouldn't be hope any longer, but it's hope now. This is our hope. Our hope is for resurrection and to live eternally in the presence of God. Our obligation, our hope, our help. It's hard to live by faith, isn't it? It's hard to live by hope. I'd much prefer, God, you let me live by sight. Thank you very much. (laughs) You let that hope be seen. You let that faith be realized. But so far, God has said, not just yet, Bill. You keep living by faith a little bit longer. You keep living by hope a little bit longer. But I'll help you get through it. What is our help? Our help is the Holy Spirit of God. 
verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how we ought to pray. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Living by hope and living by faith is hard, so we need help. And God says, I've got your help. It's in my presence, in the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus told his disciples in that upper room shortly before his own death and his own departure from them, he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. I've been your comforter so far, but I'm going to leave. And I'm going to leave you with another comforter. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to provide my presence for you to continue. And that is going to be through the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he gives one example. And that one example is prayer. We don't even know what we ought to pray for sometimes. But whether we have the words or we don't, we have the confidence and assurance and the help that the Holy Spirit inside of us communicates our desires, our needs, our prayers to the Holy Spirit of God. And the Father hears on the throne and acts. Our spirits inside of us share those prayers that are simply groans that no words can can actually communicate. Have you ever been there? I know you have. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a relationship. Great fear over what tomorrow might hold. And you kneel down to pray and the words just don't come. And you struggle. And it's in those times and moments especially that our spirit communicates with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us in language only the Spirit can understand. And the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and puts them before the very throne of our Heavenly Father in words that only Spirit understands. And because God is Spirit, He hears those prayers. That is our That is our help. Our help, just as Jesus promised his disciples toward the end of the Gospel of John, is the Holy Spirit of God and his presence within us. And it leads to our calling. Our calling in these familiar words in Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What a great passage filled with important teaching. And I want us to begin with that great verse, verse 8 verse 28, and I want us to take a look and see what the subject is. If the subject in your translation is things rather than God, 
Your translation misses this verse because that's not the subject. The subject is God. It is God who works. Things don't work out. God works out things. Whatever's going on in your life, it may be good, it may be bad, it may be easy, it may be hard. God will work through that and will work that out for your good. Maybe not your good at this particular moment. Maybe not the good that you think that you would want. Maybe not good that is based on physical, emotional, temporary lives, but ultimate spiritual good for you and for those around us. This passage doesn't say that only good things happen to us. It doesn't say that God brings only good things to his people. (laughs) Doesn't say that at all. And if you've ever read the Bible, you know that's not true because there were very faithful people of God, Old Testament, Gospels, and New, who had very bad things happen to them, unjust things, painful things. But even in the midst of those things, God was at work. And he was able to take those things and those experiences and work them out for good. In those people's lives and in the people around them that God had sent them to, to minister to. This passage doesn't say that only good things happen to us, nor does it say that the things that happen to us control us. Again, God is the subject, not the things that happen to us. As we look at this subject, remember that. Things don't work out. God works out things. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his Purpose. Our calling is to conform to the image of Christ. And so, Bill, do you believe in predestination? Do you think the answer to that question is yes? Bill, do you believe that this passage teaches predestination? The answer to that question, also yes. But not like you might be thinking. I don't believe that God predestines individuals to be saved or lost. You're saved, you're saved, you're lost, you're lost, no matter what you do or how you live. I don't believe that for a second. I do believe God's foreknowledge knows ahead of time everything that's going to happen, everyone who's going to be saved, everyone who's going to be lost. But what does this passage teach about predestination? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he has predestined. God has predetermined, he has predestined that those who would be saved would be those who live like his son. Those who conform themselves to the image of his son. Our calling is to conform to the image of Christ, to live the way he lived and to value what he values. And finally, this great chapter ends with our confidence. In verses 31 through 39, these verses give us the great assurance that we're looking for. These verses remind us of what Bill shared during our communion time, that our God is a great and powerful God, but he is on our side. Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Here's the thing. God has not withheld from you the thing that means the most to him. 
And if that's the case, why would he withhold anything else? He has given you everything by giving you his son. And Paul's point is the one God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And again, he's on our side. He's with us. We're with him. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If there's anyone who has the right to judge us and condemn us, it's Jesus Christ and he died for us. And he is at the right hand of God speaking to the Father in our behalf. And so verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? Can difficult things that go on in this world, challenges that we have, struggles that we have, can they separate us from the love of Christ? How about famine or nakedness, poverty, difficulty in this life? Can that separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus or Lord? How about danger or sword? How about the threat of harm and death? How about even death itself? Can that separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? The answer is an emphatic, no, it cannot. Why is that? Verse 36, quoting from the Psalms, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We're already dead. Satan, you want to tempt us with harm, with difficulty, with death? Bring it on. Come on. We've already made that choice. We've already given our lives to Christ. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me, Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Paul says in Philippians 1, in jail. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't, don't threaten me with death. I'm already there. It's Christ living in me. No, verse 37 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our confidence is if God is for us, who can be against us? Our confidence is that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Our confidence is that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Our confidence is that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Righteousness living then is living victoriously by the spirit rather than by the frustration of the flesh. This chapter, I believe, is meant to be in contrast with chapter 7. And it speaks of our great victory in Jesus, as we'll sing about in just a moment. But before we do that, let's read through Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation... 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Righteousness living is living victoriously by the spirit rather than by the frustration of the flesh. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You want him to be your savior today. Come as we stand. Sing this great hymn together. I heard an old, old story how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I I heard. 
gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being with us. We know that you're with us every day through the good times and the bad, and, and we just thank you for that. Saying thank you just doesn't seem quite enough. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and uh, all that that means for us. Please be, be with us as we leave this place. Be with those who can't be here today, either illness or they're traveling. Please keep them safe upon their return. Uh, again, we love you so much for your, your gift of your son, Jesus. It is through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good job. That one teaches.